Somebody spoke to me today that the Lord gave them a dream just, and this person usually doesn't come to me unless they see something, unless, I mean, you know, they're not flaky and they don't think everything they see is God. But they said, Pastor, the Lord gave me a dream and what I saw was a voodoo doll that was spinning around. And I don't know, maybe there is a measure of witchcraft that's been launched towards us, curses and everything else coming against this church and against our people. So we're going to break those. I, I Really, I want us to do. Now, God has been speaking to this house, if you remember, through the prophets about his holiness and some things that, you, you know, that this house, the fire on the altar. So what we're doing, I'm doing, I don't know about you guys, but I'm just rehearsing my whole life again and going back asking God to deal with whatever needs to be dealt in me because I want to be pure before him. Whether it's my motive or intent, I don't think I'm, I know I'm not in any kind of gross sin of any kind, but I want to tell you, my motive could get out of whack, my intention the pride, the arrogance, and all of that stuff, we're going to lay down. And I'm encouraging you as a body, we're in the greatest hour of revival, I believe it, of church that we have ever, ever been in. And, and this, actually, I'm not going to do it tonight. I may do it Sunday morning. Uh, that I'm going to show you uh, through a brother that's been in revival for years. I had lunch with him the other day uh, that goes all the way back to, to the Pensacola revival. He's gone into places where, uh, where he has, you know, would be there for one weekend. It would turn out to be 20, 25 weeks at a time straight. And revival would break out. Matter of fact, he spends half of the year in uh, New Zealand where they have seen God move in a tremendous way. So I met with him uh, to just see how it was functioning. He gave me a book uh, about revival. And I, let me just go ahead and tell you a couple stages of it, okay? The first stage of that revival when God starts moving is we start declaring he's here. He said this is the pattern everywhere he goes. You just know he's here. God has shown up in a special way. The second stage is, and he's got little sayings for it. I'm just kind of giving my term of it. The second stage of that is the wow factor. That all of a sudden, healing and miracles and things start happening that begin to wow everybody. He said, no more times than one, we miss this one. This is where it happens. He said, we get to the third stage, and he called it the ouch stage. And he said, that's where God starts putting his finger on the house. And he starts putting his finger on our hearts and our lives. And then we move from that to the oh stage. Now I know what all of this is about. Because it moves us into the purpose of God. And then it goes into the last stage. There were five stages. And then it goes to the fifth stage. Is that stage where you're just going, wow, look at what is happening. Because revival and people's lives are being changed. And the harvest is coming in. He said this is the pattern that he has seen for years everywhere he goes. So you and I can't expect to have revival and not have an ouch moment that God wants to deal with us and deal with our hearts. And I hope that every one of us, every one of us, I, I, I don't know, uh, uh, you know, I was asking him about revival. I was telling him about years that we have gone and been in meetings where, with people like John Kilpatrick. Many of you went to, uh, went to Brownsville. I'm going to go ahead and preach on that to you anyway. I'm just pulling all this together. In Brownsville. And, uh, you, you know, I remember the year. It seemed like it was maybe about 10 years ago. Jan Painter called me up. And uh, she said, did you hear what happened to John Kilpatrick? That's exactly how she said it. She said, have you heard about John Kilpatrick? 
Does anybody know who, everybody know who I'm talking about? He led the Brownsville Revival in, in Brownsville, Florida, right outside Pensacola. In 1995, Father's Day, revival came, a move of God that lasted for five years every night. Countless millions of people came through. Countless thousands of people were saved, healed, delivered. Many, many things happened. And he's carried that spirit with him. Well, when Jan called me, I thought, man, he must have died. Because that's exactly how, did you hear about John Kilpatrick? And I said, no, what happened? She said, it's happening again. And it's the bay. It was happening. They called it the, uh, the uh, spirit at the bay or something to that effect. And she said this. She said, I want you to go. She, because she prophesied it in the church down there. She was with Pastor Kilpatrick. She said, I want you and Diane to go down. And I want you to have him lay hands on you. Because what is resting on him in that area is resting upon you in this region. And so I went with the intent. We didn't get to ju just jump and go, but we went a few, uh, maybe a week or two later. And we went on a Thursday night and a Friday night with the intent of coming back uh, to be here on Sunday morning. But our whole intent of going down was to have John Kilpatrick lay hands on us. So Matt, when I got to the, to the meeting, they were meeting at the convention center in Mobile. If you know where that's at, there were probably, I don't know, maybe a thousand people there that night, you, you know, and, and I thought, I'm in this meeting, I'm thinking, wait a minute, there's nothing happening here that is happening there. I mean, we were seeing everything. Same anointing, felt the same spirit. It was just incredible. And, and so, to make a long story short, we got through the next night. That was the next night that Delia Knox got healed. John Kilpatrick laid hands on us, and we came back to Cape. So I said all that to say, I was sharing that with the brother that I was with the other day. He said, you know what, Pastor, I hear that everywhere I go, that churches said, we are experiencing that same thing when we've gone. The spirit wasn't different. The move wasn't different. But he brought something to my light. He said, you know the difference was? He said, there's only one difference between the churches and what were happening in those meetings. He said, was the expectation of the people. He said, that's the main difference of all of it when God is moving. The expectation of the people went down in the churches more than it, than it was excelling in, uh, you know, in the convention center. So that was something to think about and something to uh, challenge us with as we are moving forward and what God is doing. Because I believe this is the most exciting time for all of us to be on the planet. And I'm still declaring to you that God is moving. And I believe there is an emphasis right now upon three things that you and I've got to pay attention to. One of those is healing. That's, what's, that's a part. I'm preaching tonight on preparing for the great harvest. This is the third message I, that I started. I wasn't planning on doing a series on it, but I can't get away from it. But healing plays a great role in gathering the great harvest. Jesus comes on the scene, and the first thing that he does in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, or verse 23, I believe it is, and he went about all Galilee teaching and healing all the sickness, all the sicknesses and diseases that were among the people, even to the point that they started bringing the paralyzed, the epileptics, all of those that they said were bound by demons, and he delivered them all, and the Bible said, and great multitudes followed him. Every time I turn around now, I'm hearing more people being stirred. I feel like I want to know more about healing. I want to know more about, I, I just heard a couple of testimonies that came to me today. One brother called me up 
that, that uh, uh, we were chatting about healing. He called me up and said, I want to tell you a, a testimony. There was somebody, in, I believe it was in his church, that had a, an infection or something in their foot. It must have had diabetes or whatever, but the doctors were getting ready to amputate his foot because of a, a wound there that wasn't healing and evidently infections and everything, and they were down to their last opportunities before they would remove this foot. But they prayed over them in the name of Jesus. He said they went back to the doctor, and to the, to the amazement of the doctor, the wound began to heal up. It wasn't totally healed. He said, I don't know what happened. I don't know what you're doing, but keep up what you're doing. Last night, one of the brothers that were here, and what a fantastic night last night. Thank all of you for helping that were here uh, last night. But the last brother that spoke, Brother Mark Boyster from uh, up in the Park Hills area, was sharing with me about his wife. He almost had me passing out here on the floor as he's telling me this story. But a few weeks ago, his wife walks out the door, down the steps, and somehow she shattered her ankle. When she stepped off the step and her ankle broke, he said he heard her scream. He was in the house. He walks out. He said, I literally saw the bone move about that far away. It wasn't broke through the skin. And the ankle was swelled so big, he told his wife, he said, don't look at it. Don't look at it. He managed to get her up, get her in the car, and he said as they're going to the hospital, they just begin to pray and declare the healing power of Jesus. Now, remember, this bone is totally separated, getting ready to punk, poke out the skin. He said when they got to the hospital, the emergency room was totally full. They put them in a hall, and he said, we sit there for five hours before they would sing. But he said while they were there, the, the knot began, that big ankle began to go down, and the bone went back into the place that when the doctor came out, he said, what's up? They done an x-ray and he told them what happened. He said, if you had a break, you couldn't have had a better break because everything has gone back into place. He said, they just put a brace on it. He said, we're going to call an orthopedic guy. We'll have him check and send her home. And said, she waited a couple days. Nobody ever called her from the orthopedic clinic. Finally, after a number of days, she called and said, hey, I'm supposed to see you guys. He said, oh, don't worry about it. We've looked at your x-ray. We see that. We're going to bring you in in a few days and just make sure everything is healing the way it ought to heal. So what a miracle that God did. That's the power of God. So healing, I believe, is a must. And I believe we're going to see more of it. And I believe we're going to see more, greater miracles of healing than we've ever seen before. You know what that means? It means you and I are going to have to practice. We're going to have to exercise our faith and believe God. You, you know, I, most of people, I've told you over this, most of us don't feel adequate enough to do what God's told us to do. Maybe by our own, you know, I just don't feel like I've got enough. I, I don't feel like I'm capable. I don't feel like I'm anointed. I can't do it like them. I can't do it like them. But the reality is, he said, we that believe all of us will lay hands on the sick. I believe we're there, and they will recover. Here's the second thing that is beginning to be an emphasis of the hour is deliverance. People need to be free. Not everybody that gets born again gets free from everything that is attached to them. Hello, they're saved. They're saved. 
but they still got strongholds and bondages that have to be broke off of them. What a testimony that we heard Sunday morning from, from Miss Jennifer and Brother Ladon. What a powerful word that was brought to the house, the encouragement of what God did. But notice something. She cried out to Jesus. Jesus opened the door. They both did, but both had to go into rehab, separate themselves. And through the process of rehab and hearing about Jesus, no doubt there was deliverance that came. Now, let me just say to everybody so that we'll understand, I don't believe ever, every bit of deliverance that goes on is some demon that starts manifesting in somebody and they start foaming at the mouth and their head spins around and they stand on, you know, and walk on all fours and all that stuff. I don't think that we are not going to let that happen in this house. We're not going to let that happen because we have the authority. But I believe, and I've asked Pastor Val and any of you that want to be a part of knowing more about deliverance, of raising up some teams, need to let him know because we want to have teams ready. It may not be a wild situation. It may just be some people, I'm struggling here. Do you ever think about this? Me and Charlie's had this conversation a lot. You, you know, I, I've never had drugs in my life. Don't, I don't, you know, I've never done that. You'll never, prop, I, that's just not in my radar are at all. But you realize that there's people that will never do that either. They're not alcoholics, but maybe they're struggling, let's just say this, with nicotine. Or they're struggling with some other habit. Did you realize it's the same spirit, whether it would be drugs or that? It's the same spirit at work. And sometimes it's just somebody taking the authority over that and breaking that. But I believe deliverance, we're going to see more I really believe it. And people, there are people that need to go through measures of deliverance to get free. Here's the third thing and where I want to focus tonight. Because remember, I'm preaching to you tonight about preparing, preparing for the great harvest. I believe is discipleship. And this is a big one. It's as great as the others. Now, if you come up like we did, the Pentecostal church, this is how it is. You get born again, you got it all. And we pretty well just get people saved and we send them on their way. That's how it works. Uh, you, you know, we think, well, they got born again. Their life is going to change like this. You know, I've heard people that went to, had radical salvations. I've heard people that talk about, when I say radical salvation, I mean they were heathen to the bone. They'd done everything imaginable. But when Jesus saved them, the moment they gave their life to Jesus, everything about them changed immediately. But just because that change meant doesn't mean that they got it all and that they can walk this thing out on their own. More times than one, they have relapses or sometimes they fall back is because they've never had the renewing of their mind. Let me, do you remember again what, what Miss Jennifer said? There was the daily re routine, not once in a while, but the daily routine of renewing our mind in Christ, of being reassured and knowing who we are in the Lord. I think it's one of the greatest debts. I've said, I've felt it for years, and I'm as guilty as everybody else about discipleship. But I believe discipling people into the things of the Lord is the plan of God. How do you know that? Well, let's look at Matthew 28, 18, and 19. These are the last words of Jesus from Matthew's, uh, Matthew's gospel. And he says this, Jesus came and spoke to his disciples. 
Well, let's look at verse 16. So you know he's gathered the 11. The 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when he saw him, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But notice this, some even doubted. Wow, that's crazy. They're experiencing him, but yet some are doubting whether, is this really him? Doubt was laying in their heart. But then Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want to read that to you out of the Amplified Bible real quick, just the same verses. All authority, all power of absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Help the people to learn of me, Believe in me and obey my words, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I commanded you. And lo, I am always, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance, on every occasion, even to the end of the age." He said, all authority, all absolute rule. Now, I want you to understand, the last word that was given last night was, it was time for us to take our God-given dominion, that we were to take dominion in the land. Now, listen to what Jesus said. All authority in heaven and in earth has been given to me. So if it had been given to him and the kingdom of God was to have absolute pre, pre uh, uh, absolute rule at the moment, then why didn't Jesus just say, it's all here? He wouldn't have given us the next verse. He's showing us how that dominion now will come. Is as it's all given to him. We are his body. We are the church. And he said, now I'm sending you to make disciples of every person that you can come in contact with. And the more that we reach out and the more that we declare and help them live this life, the more dominion and the more kingdom is established in the earth. Now think about that for a moment. See, we want everybody to change. They ought to just act like God. They're not going to act like God if their hearts isn't right. So it's up to us now to carry the authority of the Lord, the absolute rule, into everybody that we can go in and make a difference so that we can begin to rule in the earth. By the way, for you guys that don't know it, I'll put a plug in for her. Miss Ashley has just stepped up to be the uh, circuit court clerk. Am I saying that right? For Cape Girardeau County, she's on the ballot now, so we got to support her. We got a Holy Ghost filled person now. And not only them, but we need to be looking at this with all of these candidates coming up. School board, mayors, whatever it is. If you want some information on some of these people, you can see Doc, Dr. Dave and Miss Norma Clark. Hold your hand up so people know because they are studying these people and what they're standing for and what they're believing for. Go check them out if you don't know. 
You know, I had a conversation with somebody today talking about the public school system here. Do you know that we've got young people that's running around in our public school system that think they're cats? And are be given, been given the privilege to sit on their desk like a cat and lick their hands? Yes, this is in our public school system. Hello. And it's not happened here yet, but some schools, because this is happening, has set up litter boxes for them. This is honest truth. This is, this is why, church, we can't sit no longer. You and I can't play with this. We've got to get righteous, Holy Ghost-filled people, people that love God. Well, pastor, they're not perfect. They're all messed up. Well, I know nobody's perfect, but i got to get the closest person to God that I can get that will stand for righteousness. Hello. See, we're all naive to that stuff, and it's happening. How did that get in the schools if the school board's And the principals don't push it and hands get tied that they can't move because it comes down. We're all worried about Washington. We're not going to change Washington. We got to start right here and work our way up. I believe that with all of my heart. So I'm encouraging us. So get behind these people that are standing. Some of you need to, I'm putting a plug in for the election. Some of you need to be calling your candidates and asking them, hey, what do you stand for? What do you believe in? Are you a believer? Are you a follower of Jesus? What are you going to stand in some of these? I've had them knocking at my door. I'm talking to them and asking them, man, where do you believe? What do you stand for? I don't only want to know what he wants to do for the city or what he wants to do. I want to know where his heart is because out of the heart flows the issues of life. I got to get off of that, but we need to pay. This is why we got to do what we got to do. This is why Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all all nations. Let me define for you what a disciple is. Here's a simple definition. He is a learner, a student, a follower of Jesus. They are growing in love for, learning to trust in Jesus until they are totally devoted to Jesus. See, some people don't know how to live for Jesus. I don't know if many of us have ever been discipled in this house. And we just do what we, what we noted. Well, you're just supposed to live right. Well, what is living right? We got a world that's messed up that has no value system right now. They don't know a truth from the truth, and they got their truth. It's like I had a gentleman reach out to me today. He said, this is what I believe. And he was talking about people helping him. And he said, I believe people ought to help. Ought to, he said, I believe in people blessing you even if they blessed you once. They ought to just keep blessing you. Well, that's his belief. See, he just believes everybody ought to drop what they're doing and give to him. Right, wrong, indifferent. But that's his belief. So that belief doesn't make it right. And even in ours, where is our right at? We've got to line it up to here. Jesus is the focus of it, and this is what we've got to get back to. How did we get so far that a young person, that a teenager, thinks they're a cat and walks down the halls of the school on all four? 
Well, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter 1 that when God revealed himself through creation and everything that was made and because men became unthankful and no longer acknowledged him as God, this is what the word said, they changed the image of God. So when you change the image of God, what do you do? You change the image of who you are. So now you don't even know who you are and you can be deceived by everything under the sun. Not only is that, but we've got a, there's a family in a school that all of them are transvestites. The children, all of them. So now special privileges and bathrooms and everything is being set. Your tax dollars, your tax dollars that we pay in are allowing these things to happen. I'm not trying to be political. I'm trying to show us our responsibility to make a difference in the earth. And we just can't... Well, we're going to have a Holy Ghost meeting and everybody's going to be transformed. I believe it helps and I believe we need it, but there's work to do beyond the meeting. So he said, we got to make them, we've got to show them how to be students or followers of Jesus. Let me give you a statement I heard many, many years ago. Are you okay? It said, to become a Christian is the experience of a moment. That's all it is. One moment in the presence of Jesus, he says, everything can become new. To become a Christian is the experience of a moment, but to be a Christian is the experience of a lifetime. So you never get enough. And I want to say to all of us in this room, don't think you know it all. Or you've got it all. I don't care how long you've been in this thing. You can always learn something more. Every one of us. I know I'm just going to use these guys. I know they study a lot about healing. They see miracles all the time. People heal. But there's still more. There's still more. Oh, the endlessness of who God is. Of who God is and the depth of how wonderful he is. You see, it was common in the first century for a Jewish rabbi to have to, to have. Uh, and lead disciples. And they were his pupils or students devoted to their leader that, that they accepted their teaching. They adhered to their lifestyle. They not only learned information, but they walked with their teacher in order to become like them. The more, more than that, true disciples assisted their leaders in spreading their mission. One major sign of maturity in a disciple is his willingness to reach out to somebody else and disciple them. And the first thing that Jesus did as a pattern, he started preaching the kingdom. He got a follower and said, follow me. And he chose 12 and said, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. What he was doing was putting them into his mission. I come to seek and to save that which is lost. So what makes a disciple? Let me give you four things real quickly. It's one who is following Christ. That makes a disciple. It's one who's following Christ. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 says, When we come into Christ, we become new creations. Old things are passed away. The first thing that happens, they get head knowledge. That's starting to follow. They get head knowledge. Hey, I'm a child of God. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. 
But have they, do they really understand that? Do they really know what that means? The second thing it brings them to, they're being changed by Christ. They're following him, and now they're being changed by him. It's all about Jesus, church. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. They're being changed into the image of Jesus. Now their heart is being affected. The third thing is they're living out the mission with him. Now they've put their hands in, they've gotten their hands involved, and now their actions are betraying what they're believing, and they're seeing, they're modeling themselves after the one they're following. And the fourth thing is they're leading others to do the same. They've become healthy. You know, healthy things grow, healthy things reproduce. It really does. Maturity. Is something that goes, I'm, I'm mature in the Lord. We could all say that. But maturity, maturity takes you where there's more of you that you're giving away and others are taking on what you are carrying within you. You know, it's like a baby being born. I was thinking about, God, what's the best way to explain this? It's a pattern of a, of a baby being born. This little child comes into the earth. He's got to have extreme care. He's been wrapped up in this cocoon for these nine months or 40 weeks, whatever it is. He's being carried and now he's birthed and special care and attention has to be given to that little guy or he will not make it. He's healthy. He's alive. He's whole. He's a male. He's a female. He's a boy. He's a girl. But he's got to have extreme care. And he needs the care, especially of that mother that nurses him. That nurses him. He's feeding off the milk of, of mom unless they're, you know, bottle feeding him. And even a lot of times for a new mom, I've seen this. We saw it with, I remember when our, my daughter went through it. My, my, my daughter-in-law, daughter-in-laws have gone through it. Nurses come because if they're going to breastfeed these babies, even nurses come to assist them to help them know how to get started. You ladies understand what I'm talking about. The importance, the value that those babies, and they say those babies need the, pure, the best milk they can get is that of mother. The scripture tells us we need the sincere milk of the word. They've got to be fed. They can't be given a T-bone steak. Just coming to church in a meeting like right here. This is a hard thing about being a pastor because i got people on every spectrum and every level. And I somehow got to break it down. I don't know if I do it, if I do it good or not. I'm just trying to. But sometimes we're throwing T-bone steaks to babies and expecting them to chew it up. They don't even have teeth. We, we were with Maverick and uh, back the last time we were there in Pensacola last time, and we went down to the wharf one evening and, and, and was one of the ice cream shops, and they were getting ice cream, and there was some caramel apples in there and caught Diane's attention. And so she got a caramel. She, didn't, she just picked up a caramel, I think it was. And, of course, little Maverick setting in the, setting it, you know, in his thing. And, of course, you know how grandmas are. She pinched, I mean, just a, I mean, a speck and, and just put it in his little mouth. Of course, you know, he's going at it. Now, mom and daddy didn't like that. What are you doing to him? But we got to grow. And they grow and they're nurtured and 
they go from the milk and then they start feeding them a little bit more as they, as they begin to grow and we help them learn how to develop the skills and the language and help them develop how to stand and help them to develop how to walk until they get to a place that they can do it on their own. But even after they're standing on their own and they can use the fork on their own or the spoon, they can't be left alone. It may be years before somebody has to be there to give them instruction lest they get themselves in trouble. So what does it involve? I got to land this jet. Are you okay? I believe there's six things that it takes. And I'm going to use the pattern of Jesus, okay? First thing, we got to start being better at building relationship. Not acquaintance, relationship. I can say I know you and that's it. Hey, I'm glad to see you today. That really doesn't mean anything. That's just an acquaintance. I'm glad to see you. Shake their hand and go away. But I got to build relationship. You know what relationship is? It means I want to know about your life and I want you to know about mine. It's an intermingling of, of lives. First thing that Jesus did when he said, follow me. I don't think he was getting acquainted with them. He began to build a relationship with those 12. I was chatting with somebody about Jesus, and I think Jesus had times where he's teaching them, he's showing them things, but I think there's times, man, I really believe this. They were all walking along the shore of the sea or something, and I can just picture Jesus pushing one of them over in the sea just for fun. Because I believe he had moments that it wasn't all this serious that we're going to get in the Holy Ghost and go into the third heavens. No, I believe he, they enjoyed doing some life together. I believe many times they sat down and broke bread together. And I believe he even mocked Peter about some of the fish. How big was he today, Peter? Peter would say, he's this big. She said, I know better. You, you know, he had fun with them. See, if we, don't, if we don't make this fun, they ain't going to hang around. You can't be serious. There's times you just, sometimes you don't need to get, you don't even, you just need to be with them and laugh a little bit and let make them feel comfortable and who they are. Here's the second thing that Jesus did after he said, follow me, Matthew chapter 5, the first thing he did, he took them a mountain and he began to teach them. He taught them. He instructed them in the ways of heaven, in the ways of the kingdom. We got to teach them how to live. Some people don't know. You don't do that. Well, we know we can't make people stop everything. They've got choices, but we do teach them. This is what's expected of a child of God. Just basic, simple things. It's the past same pattern of the early church. After they came out, the 3,000 so were saved. First thing it says, and these all continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So they had the foundation. This is how a Christian acts. May I tell you, we have lost sight of this. We really have. And we're going to be preaching more on this. I want you to know that right now. There are activities that have been embraced in the church that has become acceptable that is not the Word of God. And it's totally contrary to the foundation of the church of its standing on. I'm talking about moral, ethical principles of life that we've got to get back to. I cannot live like everybody in the world. If that's the case, why do you need to come back again? If that's the case, why discipleship? 
We are the called out ones. We are the peculiar people. We are called to be different. Our lifestyles ought to reflect that. He taught them. Third thing he did, after he got off the mountain with them, he took with them, he began to heal, he began to set people free. But the, here's the thing that Jesus did. He modeled the life before them. He said, I tell you, this is how you'll live. But not only did he teach them, he modeled it. We are not going to be good disciples of teaching people how to live right if we don't model it. This is a pattern of family life. Hello, moms and dads, I want to tell you again, and I know I'm talking to the choir, but i got millions of people watching me online, so I'm talking to all of them. It's not the church's responsibility to do all the work that you are assigned to do for your children. You are to teach them, and not only teach them, but them to model it. You realize that what they know about life is what they're seeing you do? You don't think little Johnny, because he's a year old or two years old, is comprehending everything that you're doing. But here's how it is. If he sees mom and dad going at it all the time, you know what he's going to do? As he gets older, his lifestyle will be just like that. He will go at it, be argumentative and everything else. Why? That's what he's hearing. This must be how we do life. I'm going to argue about everything. Or if I see a slap, or I see this, or I see that, they're, they're picking these things up. And it's never been meant that the church would get your children straightened out. We only assist you. Correct me if I'm wrong. But we only assist you in helping you raise your family. That's the importance, guys. My goodness, of what? we got families that, no, I don't, church isn't important anymore. Well, mom and daddy, grandma and grandpa, if it's not to you, don't expect your grandchild to think that it's important. And when they're out there in the world and they're in drugs and you call us up, hey, y'all pray. It doesn't have to get that far. It shouldn't get that far. But you expect us to be miracle workers. I know this is Sunday morning stuff here. When everybody's here. But that's, the how, that's how people expect. It's what people think. You guys get my kid straightened out because he's a mess. And you know what? We get him straightened out, get him saved, and get him loving to Jesus. But he goes right back into that environment. We're seeing that happen in our system of our schools. Seeing that happen in the systems. I don't care how many children we bring in. The sad note, there was a time we brought in on Thursday night many, many years ago. We were busing kids in as far as 25 miles away. This auditorium was filled with children. It was filled with children. We gave them food. We had some of the best stuff being thrown at them at teaching. But the sad note is we had more discipline problems than what we could ever deal with because they would come in here for a moment and they'd go right back to that old environment. And all we were doing was putting a Band-Aid on a bad situation, giving them a little comfort for a moment. I'm not sad that we did that. But moms and dads, Listen, church, this is why we've got to carry this to another level. Here's the, here's the fourth thing. Not only did he model it, but he demonstrated. They modeled and demonstrated what we were called to do. If Jesus said that we could minister to the sick, if we could raise the dead, if we could do these things, he, he demonstrated everything. Didn't you guys see me just feed the 5,000? Didn't you guys see me? Stop the wind. I don't know about you today. Before I left here, I went out and I commanded the wind to obey. 
I said, behave yourself. You act like God's created you to do. I did. I just stood out. You act like you're supposed to. Don't you get crazy this afternoon. Well, God said, I just learned that. We just learned that a few weeks ago. After all these years, somebody demonstrated it, and it happens. But he demonstrated, here's the, here's the fifth thing. He empowered them. Matthew chapter 10, after he demonstrated healing people, all this stuff that's going on now, he said, I'm giving you authority. I'm giving you power. I'm giving you authority over demons and to be able to heal all the sick. Then the seventh, sixth thing that he did, he encouraged them and released them to go. Hey, you can do this. Go do it. And he gave them an assignment. He just gave them a simple assignment. Go find the house. Knock on that door. And if that door opens you up, go in there and release everything I put on the inside of you. And if they don't, close the door. Don't be upset. Just move on. But he gave them an assignment. Here's the last thing that it takes if we're going to make disciples. What it involves. It just involves time. And I believe it's one thing that most of us don't want to give and we don't think we have enough of. Because one of the things that the enemy has done in this present time has gotten us all so wrapped up in the number one saying, if you ask people how they're doing, hey, how's everything going? We're busy. And everybody's too busy for another thing to be involved in in kingdom work. And most of all, most of all, it takes a dependency upon the Holy Ghost. You and I can't do this on our own. This is where I got to trust. I'm, I'm serious, Miss Tanya, Miss Crystal. I am asking, I'm not asking God to move anymore. That's not my prayer language anymore. I'm asking God, Holy Ghost, what do you want me to do? How do I handle this situation? How do I move? I believe you need to start asking him. He's with you. Remember what it said in the Amplified Bible? Jesus said, I will be with you under every circumstances. You crazy phone, you open every time, except right now. He said, said, I'm with you under every circumstance. So I I got to trust him. Let me land a jet. This is it. I promise you right here. Here's the attributes of a disciple. They're one, and I know we don't like this word, but it's here. They submit to a teacher who teaches them to follow Jesus. We don't like submission because that's not a good word for us. But they submit to somebody that's going to teach them to follow Jesus. Second thing they do, they learn Jesus' words. I love what you said the last time you spoke where you started talking about the Jesus language. See, the more that we become like him, the more we're going to talk like him. We're going to talk like him. I never will forget years ago uh, in our home church at home, there was a young man that married uh, Diane's best friend. And they hadn't been married real long, maybe about six months or so. And he got in the church. He got saved. But six months later, we're out with them doing something. And he started talking all the lingo of the church. Not the Christian stuff, but the trouble of the church. He started pointing out this. And I thought, how quick it takes. We can get wrapped up in all that junk, church junk, instead of talking like Jesus. Here's the third thing. He imitates Jesus' life. Or no, the third thing is, he learns Jesus' ways of ministry. Paul said, 
follow me as I follow Christ. He also said in Philippians 4, 9, he said, those things that you have seen, those things that you have heard, those things that you have learned of me, just do. I've been listening to more on healing. I didn't get to go into healing school because of places I had to be. But I've been listening to people like several different people over the last couple of days since I'm not on Facebook, I'm listen, I, and I do this all the time anyway. I like listening to other preachers, and I've been listening to Richard Roberts. Man, you know who I'm talking about. And he goes back, and he's talking about his father, Oral Roberts, of how he got started in the healing ministry and how that, that anointing would be upon him. He's now 70-something years old. Richard is. I believe he's, I think that's, how old? 72, something like that. So he's in this massive church. I mean, it's huge church. And they brought him there to do a healing school. And he simply shared his story, walked through. He said, this is how I've learned to heal the sick. And he said, the prophetic word of the Lord came to him. He said, you will no longer be going to do crusades like you've once done. But now churches are going to be calling you all over the world. And you're going to go in and you're going to teach my people how to heal the sick. So he had just gotten back from Cameroon, Africa, where I think there were several thousand people that had, he had gathered with, pastors that had never been taught about healing. He was getting ready to do one in Pakistan with 9,000 pastors and leaders that wanted to know, teach us how to heal the sick. So he has all this big group of people, stand up everybody, don't you do it, but he says, stand up, pair up, and he just simply tell you, I'm going to teach you how God taught me how to heal the sick. And he said, first of all, he said, he said, healing comes through Jesus, and it comes in the name of Jesus. And he said, this is what I want you to do. He said, find out what their need is. And then he said, listen, he said, I want you to take authority over that spirit because it's not of God. Bind that thing up in the name of Jesus. He said, don't lay hands yet. Don't release your hands until you're ready to release your faith. He said, that's why most of us aren't seeing healing, because we're not releasing our faith. We're just praying. He said, but when you're ready to release your faith for them to be healed, then you lay hands on them and say, be healed in Jesus' name. And more times than once, people are healed. So he was walking. I thought, wow, that is so simple. That stuff is so simple. And I mean, there's other things, but I'm just using him. I'm following after others that's talking about healing because I believe this is what God is saying. I want to know how to, I don't want to come up short. But they learned the ways of Jesus' ministry. Here's the fourth one. I'm down to the last. He's an imitator of Jesus' life. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. So it really ought to be like this. If you see me, you see Jesus. And that's the way it ought to be for each of us in this room. If they see us, they see Jesus. And lastly, they find others and they teach them to follow Jesus. He said, go into all the world. When he says, into your world, you know what? I've told you this over and over and over lately. Where is your world? Where is your world? Every one of us got a world that we live in. It, some of it is bigger than others. Some can go. Miss June's a wild lady. Her world is the whole globe. She thinks it is. She believes it is. And she just goes to it. She acts like it because that's what she believes. And for her, that may be there. 
She can walk up to the people on the street everywhere she goes. That's her world. Your world may be a business world. I listened to a brother on Jensen's service Sunday morning. I told you about a businessman that goes in and teaches. One of John Maxwell guys teaches the business people. They saw a hundred and something thousand people born again last year. That's his world. I may not ever get that door. Every one of us have a realm of influence that we go into. Mine may be the huddle house. Walmart, I'm there all the time. But it may be there. Maybe that's where God has me. Or has some of us to go in and reach his world. But it's time for the great harvest. I believe God said prepare And that's what I'm trying to get us to do. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to pick up an area of ministry that you've never stepped into? I may not be able to do it every week and every month like some of you have everybody in my home. But maybe it's one of those things that you grab once in a while. You grab somebody. You hang on with them. But it's going to take everything that I shared with you from the Word of God tonight. Come on and stand with me. I'm done. Said enough. Father, I thank you. I thank you that I know that you're moving mightily. And I thank you that there is a great harvest. You said the fields were ripe unto harvest. And you've got a people ready. You said the problem was never with the harvest. You said, I have an issue with laborers. I need laborers that will go into the fields. And I pray right now, Father, that we will embrace the move of this moment, of what you're doing. God, you've told us it will look different than anything that's ever been on the planet. And I believe, God, that this is the greatest move. I remember through the prophet, you said it wouldn't be an Azusa, nor would it be a Pensacola. Father, this is going to be so unique of what is happening in this hour but I thank you for the grace and the privilege to be a part of it and I pray for each of us to have the courage and the boldness in this hour that we will rise up and we will embrace the call Father even if it's one you put in my my lap or beside me to walk with me that God I will find them and I will pour into them until they become totally devoted to you so I declare that and decree that over every person in this place tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good night, everybody. God bless.